Uh, my name's Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And today I'm going to talk really fast to keep everybody awake and get us out of here on time. Huh? So let's pray that I can do that. Okay. Uh, Father, we're here, your people gathered, um, so many physically exhausted, but spiritually um, full. Uh, I pray for those folks in particular right now. Uh, God, would you seal up the work that you've done? Um, don't let the enemy come in and steal it away. Don't let distractions um, cause it to uh, be choked out. Don't let hardship of school coming and Thursday happening and everything else, don't let that cause it to shrivel, God. But instead, what you've done, would you uh, let it fall in the good soil and would it bear fruit? And so seal that work up until it does. We're asking for that. Um, Lord, I'm also asking, I know that there are plenty of brothers and sisters in the room uh, who are affected by um, government decisions that we had no say in on this deal. And uh, God, I'm asking for a kind of provision, an outpouring of provision for them and protection over them and their jobs, all of that. It's not that we're not willing to work, help, all of those kind of things. God, we're just asking for you um, to do that in such a way that only you can get credit for it. Uh, and Lord, also in this very same breath, we're asking for an end to this so that the important things that need to get done can get done. Um, and lastly, Lord, for the word that will go forth here, I pray that you would open up, um, uh, even for many, they're so tired. God, would you continue to give us the kind of energy and open us up for what you have to say to us? And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Okay, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 13, we're going to open there in just a second. Um, with no offense to um, federal or other employees, I um, had an interesting um, interaction with folks at the United States Postal Service over the past couple of weeks. Uh, my father-in-law, that we call the judge, um, has been trying to get uh, my, one of my kids a, a, a present, um, a Christmas present. Like sent it, it got sent back. Sent it again, got lost, and got sent back. Sent it a third time, certified mail. Like, at this point, I think he has as much in the postal service as he does, like, you know, like in the package kind of thing. But, I mean, like, he sent it certified mail, and it comes, and he sent me the tracking number, all this kind of stuff. And so I've been watching, tracking, watching, tracking, watching, tracking. And it comes along, and it says... Um, so he sent it to, to, my, to this office. He sent it to the office here at the church, which has a Webster, if you didn't know this, we're in a Webster post office um, zip code. Um, but the package says online that it's delivered to League City. And I'm like, people, it's certified mail. I mean, it could be a U.S. Supreme Court case for all you know. I mean, come on right? It's more important than that. It's a gift from grandpa to a grandson, but nonetheless, that's the deal. So I go down to the League City Post Office with my little tracking number, and I'm like, hey, nice post office lady, here's a tracking number. It says it's here. And she goes, it says it's here. Yes, ma'am, we can agree on these two things. <laughs> I say it's here. You say it's here. Computer says it's here. We're good on that. She said, but I can't find it. It's certified mail. How do you lose certified mail? We kind of go through all of this. And there comes a point where she looks at me and says, and I'm not kidding. She says to me, 
we handle billions of packages, I mean, like all the time. How do you expect me to keep up with this one thing? <laughs> to which, in Jesus' name, I responded. <laughs> That's the whole point of the United States Postal Service. It's to take a package from here and to make sure that it gets there. And she was emphasizing, she was emphasizing one small package in this broad package universe. And I'm saying, you're thinking too small of your job because the whole point is to get packaged from here to there. That's the whole point. And by the way, it's certified mail. How do you lose certified mail? Just to wrap a bow on it, because I know many of you will come up and ask afterwards, just like they did after 830 Mailman Ted, who is our mailman here at the church, like went on a USPS escape room hunt. I don't know exactly how it happened, but he found it and brought it. And so thank you, Mailman Ted. If you live in the Heritage Park area, he's retiring, by the way. And so you want to be sure and like hug him and give him a cake and stuff. I could not get over the fact that um, she thought so small. She was thinking about a small package, but like she had reduced it to that. And I'm saying, if that's all you're thinking, like it's, it's too small a thing for you to get locked onto, well, we handle all of this and we respect it. What? Like that's your job, right? Like if that's the whole thing. So it's too small a thing for you to think like that. Like you're supposed to engage with a broader purpose, with a bigger picture. And then I thought about us in this text. I think there, there are moments when we get lost in um, some of the minutiae, some of the small stuff. And we forget there is a bigger, broader purpose. And we're actually going to engage that phrase, too small a thing today. Um, and we'll see it actually in the scripture. Verse, Acts chapter 13, verse 44. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. Feel free to go grab one. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can find our live event and follow along with us. Acts 13, 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. I'll just say this. I said it last week um, because it's the same story. Um, Paul and Barnabas have preached. They've seen God do amazing things. They've seen people come to salvation. And so God has been at work. He's been, they have proclaimed the gospel of forgiveness and freedom to people. And, and, and that kind of ministry, wherever God is at work, it is magnetic. You just need to know that. It is magnetic. And because uh, God is at work there, there will be, it will draw people in who will revile people. We'll see that in just a second. It will draw people in who are there to inspect what's going on. But it will draw in the curious. And here's the thing. I sat with a guy on Monday who said, who specifically said this, I'm not not a believer, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested. Whenever you see, folks, you've got people in your lives like that. Whenever you see the curiosity of people towards uh, the things of God, guess what? God is at work. So don't, don't, don't take that, don't, just don't pass that up, okay? Let's live in that, live with that, okay? The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light 
uh, to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord as, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Let's just pause right there for a second. Um, if we're, we're going to be people who live in a story that, that is big and uh, the, the big story that God is telling and not get sucked into the smallest of this, not get sucked into too small a thing. How do you expect me to keep up with this one little package? Engage with the broader purpose. I think two things are going to have to be true. They come right out of this text. First of all, you and I, we have to continue to be faithful to the gospel. We have to continue to be faithful to the gospel. If you're not familiar with what the gospel is or you're not sure, you're like, eh, I've heard that word before. Simply this, the good news, we sang it a while ago, the good news that even though we are absolute wrecks, we have made hash out of our lives, God has looked down upon us in mercy and said, I don't want to leave those people like they are. And so he has sent his son, Jesus, who came and lived perfectly and died sacrificially. And then he rose again victoriously on the third day. And he now reigns supremely at the right hand of God, where he one day is going to come back for his people. And everybody who believes that, who puts their trust in Jesus, can be forgiven of their sins and set free from all of their shame and guilt and all the other stuff, anxiety and all the other stuff that weighs us down, and can get, um, receive eternal life and live with him forever. That's the good news of Jesus. That is the gospel. And you and I are called to be faithful to that message. What do you mean by that? Well, first of all, you have to be faithful um, to the content of that message and not mess it up. Because some people want to say this is about bad people becoming good, but that's not really what it is at all. Paul and Barnabas here um, uh, in, in verse 45, the Jews saw the crowds. They were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy, here we go, of eternal life. That's the part. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. We have to be faithful to the content. The gospel is not about bad people becoming good, but about dead things coming to life. That's you and that's me. And so we, we want to do that. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they, they could have just let this go, right? I mean, they could have. Because, I mean, it is important to say um, in our day and age, listen, it is important to say, you don't have to respond to everything that somebody else says or posts or blogs or you don't have to. Like, you can let yourself up from that burden. You don't have to. Um, uh, and, and sometimes even like there are other people who would do better defending you than you defending yourself, right? Well, in Paul and Barnabas' case, they didn't have that. And furthermore, I think they responded for two reasons. Number one, they know the motive of this. It says the Jews were jealous, and so they began to predict. So there's a motivation issue there. But bigger than that, and I think this is primarily why they responded, is that they were trying to, as it says, um, uh, they were reviling them and they were trying to contradict what was spoken by Paul. And Paul knew, Barnabas knew, this is a matter of life and death for people. This is a matter of people believing the good news of Jesus or not. This is a matter of God doing a work in them and them hearing the good news and, being, uh, and, and satisfying their curiosity about who God is and what he's doing or not. And so they, they spoke. They spoke out. And, and uh, dealt with, if you will, the, the contents, with the content of the gospel. They knew that the stakes were too high. Now, the, the second 
part of this, um, if we're going to be faithful to the gospel, because of the nature of what the gospel is and what it says, because of the nature of that, there's a contour also. So we've got content, that's important, but there's a contour also, and that contour is that there is an outward bent of the gospel. Meaning what? Meaning that the gospel continually, as we live in it, as we receive it, as we believe it, as we um, uh, um, uh, take it into us and it shapes us, it is not going to ever bend you inward toward yourself. Jesus said crazy stuff like, whoever wants to follow me, you know what you should do? You should deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow. That's, that's the kind of stuff Jesus said. And so when we believe Jesus and the words of Jesus and the things that Jesus did on our behalf, the contour of the gospel will bend us outward to people, not inward. I, I bring that up because Paul specifically says this. He says, you've judged yourself at the end of verse 46. You've judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, therefore, uh, we are turning to the Gentiles. And for you, uh, verse 47, excuse me, for so the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So Paul had been, and Barnabas had been ministering um, to Jewish people in the synagogue and they were rejecting him. And he said, look, part of our call is to minister to you. That's true. But man, the gospel bends us outward toward people. And then he quotes Isaiah 49. Now, can we just look at Isaiah 49 in context? It's going to pop up on the screen. Now, the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring back Jacob to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. So it's important for the people of God to be in right relationship with God. That's crucial. And he says, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord. God's speaking to his servant here. And my God has become my strength. He says this. Don't miss this. You ready? It is too small a thing. Some of your translations, if you're reading, may have too light a thing. There's not enough gravity. Okay? It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved ones of Israel. So it's good for the people of God, the tribes of Jacob, the preserved ones of Israel. It's good for them to be in right relationship. But a revival in the people of God means that we reach outward to people who are not the people of God. The gospel bends us outward. That's what he says. I will make you, it's too small a thing, that you should just engage with the people of God. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God pushes us outward and he does so through the gospel. In fact, if the gospel that you and I believe doesn't bend us outward, my question goes something like this. Is that really the gospel that you're believing? Because it does, it does over and over and over again. It just pushes us outward and people come along and they think, well, yeah, well, I mean, that's good for Paul, but I mean, you don't know me. So Paul going to the Gentiles, folks, is a huge turn. It is a massive turn in the church because not only are they just saying, oh, you Gentiles, you want to come along with me? That's fine. Now, because the gospel has bent them outward, the contour of the gospel is outward. Because it has bent them that way, now they're not only saying to the Gentiles, oh, if you want to walk along with us, please come on. Now they're saying, hey, we're coming to you with the good news. And people say, and two, when, when, when you're talking about Gentiles, you're talking about two different hurdles that they had to overcome. And you just see if any of these, either of these two apply. The first one was a racial hurdle because Gentiles and Jews were not the same people, right? They were, they were seen certainly as morally unclean. We'll talk about that in just a second. But 
Um, there was a racial hurdle to overcome. And Paul is saying, I am intent, intentionally and uniquely, because of the call of God, I, the gospel has bent me outward toward those people who do not look like me. Does that apply to anybody? Got anybody in your life who doesn't look like you, who needs to know that Jesus is in charge of the world, that he offers forgiveness and freedom to everyone who puts their trust in him? See, what Paul had in mind was not, a, not only this bent of the gospel, but Paul had this gorgeous vision in mind. John actually wrote about it in Revelation chapter 7 later. He says, after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude for, uh, that no one could number from every nation, do you get that? Every nation. So every kind of person that you could possibly think of from all tribes and all peoples and all languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So can, in your mind, you picture this? Can you picture not a sea of Europeans, not a sea of Africans, not a sea of Australians or South Americans or Asians or any others? There is a sea of people from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every people. There is a sea of it before God. Why? Because God doesn't do monochrome. He is painting a beautiful picture with all sorts of colors. And they had two things in common. You see what they are? The first one is they were clothed in white robes. All of these colored faces, all of these white robes. Why? Because it doesn't matter what your color is. There's only one way that a person is made right with God, and that's through Jesus. And then, not only did they have that in common, but what? They were crying out with a loud voice. They sang the same song. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Spanish, Swahili, English, some other language I can't think of right now. It's all just coming out, right? Just pouring out, out of this sea of color, white robes and this praise. Beautiful. The gospel bends us towards people who are not like us. But it's not just that. So, I mean, it was enough for the Jews, uh, Paul as a Jew, to pursue the Gentiles with the good news of Jesus. He had that picture in mind, and he knew that the gospel pushed him that way. So he was going to have to overcome a racial thing. And some of us, uh, because of our situations, and we have to overcome racial things too. We have to intentionally pursue. But secondly, it's not just that Gentiles were ethnically different. They were morally different. They didn't grow up around church. They didn't know the Ten Commandments. They acted like people who sinned and sinned greatly and enjoyed it while they were at it. They were really good sinners, Gentiles were. And that's you too. And so we have to reach out. We have to reach out and, and, and let the gospel push us towards people who are really good sinners. Why? Because that's who needs the news of forgiveness and freedom. This verse, we looked at it last week, and it's been stuck with me uh, all last week and all this week. 1 Corinthians 6, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And just in case you're wondering who the unrighteous were, Paul just gives us a list of examples. Don't be deceived. Not, not the sexually immoral, not the idolaters, not the adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. None of those folks get in. And we, 
you're looking at that list going, hey, well, my sin's not up there. Your sin would, I mean, like you just, it would be included in the list if Paul knew you. Okay, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) And then gloriously, gloriously, verse 11, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. There's a world out there that people are waiting to hear the good news of Jesus so that they also could say, such was some of I. I was that guy. I was that girl. I was that person. I was the person bound up. I was the person addicted. I was the person in trouble. I was the person um, just laying my life out for things that didn't matter. That's who I was, but then what? Such were some of you, but what happened? You were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. There is a, there is a hurdle that some people have to get over. Well, they don't sin like I do. And they need the gospel just like we do. And Paul was pushing, he, he, was, he was leaning out bent by the gospel out to those ethnically different than him and morally different than him because the good news is good news for all those kind of people. The bottom line is this. Um, if, if we stay quiet, if we stay silent when we need to speak up, then we actually say something. And what is that? We say that the gospel isn't true. If we stay silent when we need to speak up, our silence says that the gospel isn't true. Sorry, God only forgives a certain kind of person. God only offers freedom to some people. Be faithful to the gospel. That way we don't live in too small of a thing. Secondly, um, that, that you and I would be joyful in endurance. So verse 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. So Paul and Barnabas says they're leaving. Um, it's a sign of judgment. They took their shoes off and were like, I don't even want to carry the dirt with me because of what God's going to let loose on y'all. Verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they're in the midst of persecution. They're in the midst of hardship. They're in the midst of having to endure. They're in the midst of getting chased out of town. What happened? They were still filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Verse one of chapter 14. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Folks, can we be the people who speak in such a way that people believe? Like, we would not, not compromise the truth in any way, but we would just say the truth in a way that people can hear it. Verse 2, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Jews, excuse me, Gentiles and Jews, 
with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. When we talk about joyful endurance, it's a joy that comes in the middle of hardship, a joy that is given to us by the Holy Spirit. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit, a joy that is given to us even when the hardships are there. And so I just note that if you're going to live in a story that's big and not get sucked into this smallness, be ready to endure joyfully. What does that mean? It means, first of all, just recognize this, that persecution will come. Just hold on to that and say, okay, persecution's going to come. In, in Paul's particular instance, it came from the religious leaders of the day. In our particular context, more likely to come from secular people. I mean, how dare Christians act like Christians, right? I mean, that's the world that we're living in. And we don't need to go, ah, what do we need to do? Oh, this is what the Bible was talking about. This is why we've been saying this over and over again. We just need to be ready for this. Don't be caught off guard by it. Don't be surprised by it. Students, listen, you're going to head off to school and you're going to say, oh, yeah, everything's going to be great now. And guess what? Tuesday's going to happen. Algebra's coming. Don't be surprised if hardship shows up. It comes from all kinds of places. Um, But your joy and your faithfulness as you live this out is a sign of the truth of the gospel And it's a sign of the judgment that's coming. So Philippians chapter 1, Paul again, Paul is the author of Philippians, and he says this. Don't be frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. That's judgment. But of your salvation and that from God. So the truth of the gospel, your salvation and judgment, a sign of their destruction. And then nobody has this on a coffee mug, okay? Nobody has Philippians 129 on a coffee mug, I promise you. For it has been granted or graced. It literally says, God's grace has been given to you. Everybody loves grace, right? We're talking about forgiveness and freedom. Grace, wonderful, right? This particular kind of grace says this. God's grace has been given to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but you have been given grace to suffer for his sake. Oh, okay, fine. All right. Don't be surprised. Persecution will come. And when it does, just know this, that power will be available when it does. I just point you out to verse 3 quickly. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of the Lord, um, through, uh, through the word of his grace, excuse me, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. In Paul's particular case, signs, wonders, miracles. In your particular case, hey, I woke up today and I've got strength to take the next step. I've got strength today to have that conversation. I have a light in me that is pushing back darkness. And it doesn't look like much. It's just one little candle right now. But I'm telling you, there is a light in me that is pushing back darkness in my own soul and in the souls of those people around me. There is a light in me. There's power that is available for you to keep walking to do the things that God's given you to do, to live in a, in, a, in a large story and not live in this small, this too small of a thing. The bottom line goes like this. It is, if we quit too early or if we quit when it's hard, then guess what? 
we say the gospel isn't true. If we quit too early, if we quit when it gets hard, we say the gospel isn't true. Hey, listen, it was worth following him when everything was going okay, but here, eh. I'll close just with this question. Which is it for you? Which is it? Do you need to speak up? You got somebody on your mind already this week who's in class with you or who's at work with you or in your neighborhood or you're going to see out mowing the lawn because everybody in your cul-de-sac is still on furlough. Do you need to speak up? And it may be just 15-second conversation. Hey, man, I'd love for you to come to church with me sometime. Hey, you know, I've kind of been thinking about that. It may be that simple. It may be much more involved. Do you, is, there, is there a place that you need to speak up, a person that you need to speak to? Or, secondly, do, do you just need to keep going? Maybe that's you. You just need to keep moving forward. You just need to keep, keep going. Enduring joyfully. That's how we don't get sucked into the smallness, but we get to live in God's grand big story. Do you need to speak up? Do you need to keep going? Which is it for you? Let's pray together. We'll have just a moment to respond. Um, Father, now, for tired bodies and minds, for uh, those who are um, kind of already thinking about things that are coming later today, for now, I pray that you, in just this moment, by your Spirit, Take whatever's been said that's of you and press it down into us. Push it way down so that it sticks. If we need to speak this week, help us to speak. If we need to keep walking this week, help us to keep walking. Your mercy will be enough for that day. Lord, um, I ask um, over all of us, you would continue to minister by your Holy Spirit, even as we sing. And I put that in your hands now. Do that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's stand together. If we can pray with you about anything, please make your way to the back. If you need to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, make your way to the back. We'll be done here in just a moment, but let's, let's stand and sing and just have a moment here where we respond.